All right, well, hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And just to give you guys a heads up about where we are going with our preaching schedule for the rest of the year. Uh, so we have about a month left in the in the book of Colossians, okay? And so about mid-August, we're going to be wrapping up Colossians, and then we're going to start going into Hebrews uh, for the fall and for the winter. And so if you want to be reading ahead and, and knowing what to study or, or look at, I'd encourage you to study uh, the book of Hebrews. And we'll be in that for a little while. We'll take a break for our Advent season and have a special series then. But otherwise, we'll be, be in Hebrews for the, uh, the fall and the winter months. Well, the title of this morning's sermon is The Kingdom Wardrobe. All right, the kingdom wardrobe, because you'll remember at the start of chapter three in the book of Colossians, Paul tells the Colossians to seek the things that are above, to set their minds on the things that are above. And we learned that what that means is not necessarily us just thinking about heaven or us just having our head up in the clouds, but that really that is about us setting our minds and seeking uh, the things of the kingdom of God. And really, essentially, to seek the kingdom of God, to set your minds on the kingdom of God, is to set your minds on the king and his ways. The king and his ways. And last week, we learned about some of the things that are not the ways of the kingdom and things that we needed to put to death and to strip off and put out of our lives. We learned last week that we were to put to death any sort of sexual immorality or any sort of anger or any sort of division that exists inside of us and among us. These must be put off. And now this morning, we're going to be looking and learning and looking at what we are to put on instead. Okay? And, and these virtues or these characteristics that we're going to learn to put on, listen, these should be a reminder uh, to one another of the kind of king that we have, who, who chose us, who set us apart, and who loves us. And so these aren't just virtues that we're going to try to put on so that we can be good moral people, all right? These are virtues we want to put on because they remind us of our good king. And so I, I picked actually a special shirt to wear uh, this morning. Do you guys like this shirt? I know Tim likes the shirt because uh, we're, we're pretty close. Uh, but this is a special shirt, all right? It's, it's kind of an older shirt that I don't always wear that often. Uh, but it's a special shirt because 13 years ago, I proposed to Brittany in this shirt. <laughs> all right, so 13 years ago, Gulf Shores, uh, fancy dinner, sunset on the beach. Uh, Cindy was and the family were running late getting things set up, so I had to stall a little bit. Uh, she's not in here to defend herself. Uh, but eventually then, wearing this shirt, I got down on one knee and I asked Britt to marry me. And uh, after some negotiating and uh, some convincing, she said yes, right? She said yes. And so now this shirt is special to me because it reminds me of the night that Britt chose me forever, it reminds me, like when I see it in the closet, it reminds me of this amazing woman that has, has chosen me, that has set me apart from all her other relationships that she has, that has set her love upon me. And so that's what I think of. It's, it's a special shirt because when I see the shirt and when I put it on, it reminds me of who I am in relation to Brit. 
okay? Uh, look, at, look at Colossians 3, verse 12, real quick, and this will start to make sense. Colossians 3, verse 12, he writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Okay, listen, church, these virtues that we are going to be encouraged to put on, to clothe ourselves with today, this kingdom wardrobe, so to speak, these are so special because it is when we put them on as a community that we are reflections of and reminders to one another of our king who has already chosen us, who has already made us holy or has set us apart, and who has already poured out his love on us us. These are special, virtuous, kingdom wardrobe clothing items that we're going to learn to put on today. And this language, this language of the chosen ones, this language of holy and beloved, all right, this had been language that was exclusively used for the people of God in the Old Testament. But then when Jesus shows up on the scene, we see that language start to be used for Jesus, right? Jesus was the chosen one. Jesus was the set apart, the holy one. Jesus was the beloved son of the father. And now here in Colossians and in the letters to the churches, we start to see that, that these, this phrasing of the chosen ones, the holy, the beloved, it's now being applied to Jew and Gentile, to anyone who is in Christ, that we are now the chosen ones, the set-apart ones, the beloved ones. And so we're not going to just talk about these virtues today uh, to, so that we can be good moral people or more virtuous people. No, we want to choose to put these kingdom clothes on so that we can be reflections of Jesus to one another, so that we can be reminders to one another of the King who has already chosen us, who has already set us apart, who has already poured out his love on us. Okay, these kingdom clothes, okay, let me just clarify one more thing. These kingdom clothes do not win us favor with the king. This shirt does not convince Brit to keep loving me or earn me favor with Brit, right? These kingdom clothes do not win us favor with the king. They remind us that the king has already favored us. Okay? Well, what kind of clothes are we talking here? All right, are we talking polos? Are we talking rompers? Are we talking khaki? Like, what's going on? What are we doing? Hawaiian shirts, maybe? What are we, what are we talking? What are the kingdom clothes? Look, look, let's look together back at Colossians 3, verse 12. He writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay, these are some of the, the kingdom wardrobe items that we are to put on. L let's look at these one at a time. Okay, first, compassionate hearts. The KJV uh, translates this bowels of mercies, which I actually, I like the KJV translation better on this one, all right? Bowels of mercies, because in that, that's literally what this is saying. In the ancient world, it was thought that specific body parts were, were uh, associated with certain aspects of a person, and the bowels were thought to be the seat of emotions, 
Okay, and so back in that context, if you were to write a Valentine's Day card, you probably wouldn't draw a heart. To them, you would draw like a small intestine, right? That's the, the bowels are where the seat of emotions are. And I think some of you would still agree with this, right? Like when you were a kid and you got upset or emotional, your tummy hurt, right? Like you had stomach aches. Uh, uh, some of you ladies, you know that the way to your husband's emotions is through his bowels. It is through his stomach and the intestines, right? Right? That is how you draw the emotion out of him, okay? And so uh, it's this bowels of mercy, all right? These bowels of mercies that we now probably understand as like a tenderheartedness, right? A compassion, which again, in the ancient world, this idea of compassion, it was a foreign concept, okay? Before the spread of Christianity, compassion was not really on the map. And really, without a biblical worldview, all right, without seeing kind of the world through this biblical lens, I mean, compassion doesn't even really make sense. There's not really an understanding for why compassion would even exist. I mean, secular humanism, Darwinism, survival of the fittest, all this, like, that's not what is teaching us and feeding us this understanding of compassion, right? No, it's Jesus and his word, and the spread of Christianity has what has put kind of this concept of compassion on the map. I remember working in the ER, there was often many providers that would talk about uh, at the start of their shift that we are fighting Darwin today uh, as, as they saved people from overdosing themselves and, and killing themselves essentially, right? They were like fighting against this concept of fighting against Darwin. And, and I bring that up because it's just without a biblical worldview, compassion doesn't even make sense if you really play out what a lot of people actually believe, uh, uh, how the world was created, you know, came into existence and exists. Compassion doesn't even make sense unless you have have a biblical world view. And there was a Scottish theologian named uh, William Barclay back in the 1900s, and he shared this quote we'll have up on the screen. He once said, everything that has been done for the aged, the sick, the weak in body and in mind, the animal, the child, the woman has been done under the inspiration of Christianity. Listen, we, we Christians, we are the ones who started hospitals and schools and shelters and orphanages. And before people look to the government to care for the poor, they look to Christians and the church to care for the poor. Like compassion, that, that one's our idea, okay? That one's Jesus's idea. Uh, so don't let anyone else kind of take that from us. Like that, that is where compassion and why compassion even exists in the world. It's through a biblical worldview. It's through what Jesus taught. It's through how his people love and serve those around them. They put on compassionate hearts. And Jesus is the ultimate example of compassion. Certainly by going to the cross in our place, but all throughout his life and ministry here on this earth, he showed compassion. For example, in Mark 6, 34, John Mark writes, uh, speaking of Jesus, he says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So here's what it means to have compassion, all right? To have compassion, you first have to see a need, okay? You second, you second, 
really want to emphasize this second part of it, all right? Uh, that you, uh, so you see a need, you then are moved with a tender heart of love and mercy for a person, and then you, the third step is you take action to alleviate that need, okay? That's what compassion really looks like. Jesus, for example, in that verse I just shared, Jesus saw the people. He saw that there was a need. They were like sheep without a shepherd, all right? He was moved with a tender heart of mercy and love towards them, and then he took action to alleviate that need, right? He taught them. He became their good shepherd. And as we go through each of these kingdom clothing items, I want to show you how Jesus is the perfect example of that, and I also want to point out some imperfect examples of that um, amongst our church family, okay? And so I'm going to call out some people, and I apologize if that embarrasses you. Uh, I don't want that to bring up any pride in your heart. I also, if, if I don't call you out, I don't want you to have hurt feelings. There are lots of people in our church that are exhibiting these qualities. But I think it's helpful to see how Jesus was the perfect example of this and how that's actually then uh, happening even amongst us as a church. And so when I think about compassionate hearts, I think of uh, Cindy and Janie. Uh, I think of Cindy and Janie. I, I think of how they, they are just a visible example of people that will see a need, that they will be moved to the heart uh, by mercy and love, and then they will step out and they will take action to alleviate that need. And so all of us, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, compassionate hearts are items of the kingdom wardrobe that we must put on, that we must clothe ourselves with, okay? And this is a virtue that we must choose to cultivate and put on every day. And as we do, we will be reflections of and reminders to one another of our King who shows compassion to us. Compassionate hearts is the first item of clothing. Well, the second item of clothing we need to put on is the item of kindness. Kindness, all right? Kindness is a gracious sensitivity towards one another. And it's motivated by a genuine care for another person's feelings and desires. It's actually the Greek word that was used to describe a wine that had grown mellow with age and had lost its harshness or bitterness. It had developed this, this kindness, this gracious sensitivity. It's the phrase that Jesus used when he described that his yoke is easy, his yoke is kind. And ultimately, it's the kindness of God that we know leads us to repentance. And in our church, in our context, I think often of Dennis and Joni and their kindness that they show us, especially on Sunday mornings as they get here early. And I just feel like there's this gracious sensitivity about them to make sure that both our church family and our guests in our church family, that they feel comfortable and that they're welcomed well and that they're looking out for how they might feel and what their needs are. There's this kindness about them. And so too all of us, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, kindness is an item of the kingdom wardrobe that we must put on. This is a virtue that we must choose to cultivate and put on each and every day. And as we do, we will be reflections of and reminders to one another of our good King who is so kind to us. 
That's the second item of clothing, kindness. The third item is humility. All right, humility is another item of kingdom of the kingdom wardrobe that we need to put on. And to the Colossians who Paul was writing this to, humility was another kind of category that was foreign to them. Usually uh, humility or, or a hump, someone being humble, that was more of like a derogatory, an insult. But Paul's using it in a very positive way, saying that believers, citizens of the kingdom, should be humble people, that we should put on humility. But this is kind of foreign outside of a biblical worldview, right? Because most people, right, they're all about obtaining honor and status and success. And not just, not only do people want to be successful, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful in what you do, but people want to be known for being successful. Like they want to be successful and then they want you to know about it. But kingdom clothing, proper attire for the kingdom of God calls for humility, And when you put on humility, really what you're doing is you're choosing to renounce any right or status you have or that you might be entitled to in order to serve others. All right, let me say that again. Humility is choosing to renounce any right or status you might have in order to serve others. And King Jesus, he set us a perfect example of this. And Paul wrote to this uh, to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 8. I'm going to read a few of these verses, but just listen to this and kind of envision and picture how Jesus humbled himself to serve us. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." When you choose to put on humility, you are choosing to renounce any right or status you might be entitled to in order to serve others. And in our church, I think of, I think of Tim and Andrea, who just serve us in so many ways, ways that you guys wouldn't even know, ways that I'm not even aware of, that they serve just humbly and faithfully. Who, who have been in roles in church leadership in past churches but haven't seen that as a sense of entitlement or a desire for more recognition, but they're willing to serve and in so many times and ways serving behind the scenes. This is humility. This is humility. As C.S. Lewis said, right, humility, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, humility is another item of the kingdom wardrobe that we must put on. And especially now that I called Tim and Andrea humble, now they're probably going to be a little prideful about that, so we'll need some more humble people to fill in. (laughs) But this is a virtue, right? This is a virtue we must choose to cultivate and put on each and every day. And as we do that, as a community, 
we will be reflections of and reminders to one another of our king who humbled himself to serve us. Another item of clothing we got to put on, number four, is meekness. Meekness. All right? Now, meekness, it often goes hand in hand with gentleness. All right? It's, it's, it's also kind of getting at this quality of not being overly impressed by your own importance. And so with meekness, there's sort of an overlap of humility and gentleness. And I think the best way to simply understand it is meekness, it's like a humble gentleness. All right? It's a humble gentleness. But it is incorrect to think of meekness as weakness, okay? Which sometimes that's where my my mind goes, because in the English language, meek and weak, they're pretty close. They rhyme. They're just, you know, a couple letters off. But, But to be meek is not to be weak at all, okay? Meekness or gentleness is really a visible virtue of a hidden strength that is under control, And therefore, men, all right, I'm talking all the men, like, you should not shy away from cultivating meekness and gentleness. It is not a sign of weakness. It is not a feminine quality, all right? We are told that Moses was meek. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And Moses was a strong, manly leader. We're also told by Jesus in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus himself then exhibited this as one who was meek and gentle as well. When, uh, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he writes, Paul, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. All right, so don't think of meekness as a weakness at all. It's an inner strength that can exude itself with a humble gentleness. And in our church, I think of Devin. Um, I think I think his strength. I think he's a I think he's a man's man. All right, he's a, he's a man. He's a strong man, but it, not in such a way that he has to let everyone know that. Not in a way that he has to exhibit or uh, domineer his strength, but he can let his uh, strong inner strength of, from who he is in Christ. He can let that exude and spill out over him with a gentleness and a meekness towards his family and towards his friends and towards his church. And so young men and future men, we got a lot of future men in here. If you want to know how to be manly and meek, you need to spend some time with Devin. Okay? So just, he'll schedule you for, you know, one hour blocks. If you want to know how to be manly and meek, talk to Devin. All right? But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, right, meekness is an item of clothing that we should all be putting on. And this is a virtue that as we cultivate this and as we choose to put it on each and every day, we will be reflections of and reminders to one another of Jesus who was meek and gentle. Well, the other item of clothing we see, number five, is patience. Patience. And what it means to be patient is it means to steadfastly endure and persevere with one another's troubles and issues. And church, we all need patience because we all have troubles and issues. 
To be patient, it also means to be, able, be willing to endure wrongs. It's the idea of forbearance and endurance and long-suffering. And our God is a perfect example of patience, for he has endured and forbeared much wrong against him. Second Peter 3, verse 9, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Our God is so patient with us. And now he calls us to put patience on as well. And in our church, I, I, think of, I think of dad. I think of how dad has been so patient with me and especially some of our young leaders here, right? I, I mean, like when, when you've been playing euchre for 30 years and you're trying to teach your kids how to play euchre, it can be a little frustrating, right? And I don't, who knows how to play euchre? I feel like that's an Indiana thing, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. I, any game, if you're not a euchre player, all right, any game that you're trying to teach someone who hasn't played it before, it could be frustrating. You can lose your patience. Like, why can't you get this? Why can't you understand this? And this is what, like, this is what we need as a church who desires to be diverse in lots of different ways, but especially we desire to be a church that's diverse in age range, okay? The easy thing is to have a church of all the people in the same exact age range, in the same season of life, like doing the same thing. Like that's, that's easy to have unity and do that. But we think a healthy church is diverse. Older, younger generations learning from one another. But in order for that to work, we're going to need a lot of patience, right? Dad has had to be patient as one who has been through a lot of this in ministry before to allow some of our young leaders, myself included, to kind of learn some things the hard way and to kind of figure out some things for ourselves and then offer and come in and, and help as well. He's been patient, but we all need to be patient with one another. All right? Younger people have to be patient with our older people as they figure out technology and Zoom and live streams, right? Right, right? Okay. But, but older people have to be patient with younger people as we just figure out life, right? And just how to survive and make it to be older. Okay? <laughs> we, we need patience. By the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, patience is an item of the kingdom wardrobe that we must put on. And as we cultivate that, and as we put it on each and every day, we will be reflections to and reminders to one another of our great God who is perfectly patient with us. And church, I'm encouraged as I, as I read through these because I see these virtues being cultivated here. I, I see these kingdom clothes being put on. And therefore, let me encourage you all the more to seek these virtues in your life. Learn from the example of Jesus. Learn from the example of one another. And let us be a church that is not overflowing with quarrels or uh, covetousness or pride. But let us be a church that, that is just spilling over with compassion and kindness, and humility, and meekness, and patience. 
This is what we will need, okay? As, as the days progress, as we have to make decisions and, and really complex problems that are just in our society right now, like, like in order for us to be able to remain as the, the church, the people of God, the community of God, the family of God, we will need compassionate hearts. We will need kindness. We will need humility. We will need meekness. We will need patience. But can you imagine what God could do in and through us if we were putting these kingdom clothes on every day? Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine how we would come to know and enjoy Christ more if we daily experienced in our own community the compassion of Christ and the kindness of Christ and his patience and his meekness and his humility as we lived life with one another? Wouldn't we come to know and enjoy Christ more? Now listen, these are easy to put on in isolation and in quarantine, but they are very difficult to put on when real life happens and when we rub shoulders with one another or uh, figuratively speaking, you know, six feet apart, whatever that rubbing shoulders means. But, uh, but as we start to live amongst one another, these start to become very difficult. I mean, you guys would not believe how patient of a person I am when I'm by myself. I mean, it's just like, like when I'm out away from all of you guys, I am a patient person, uh, almost as patient as I am humble, right? But then it's once I start getting around other people, I, I start feeling like, man, you're making me impatient. <laughs> but that is false. That is not true. Other people are not causing a problem in you. Other people are revealing a problem that was already there. And it's in this community that we live in where this lack of kingdom clothing starts to get exposed. In isolation, I think I've got kingdom clothes on. When I'm in community, the citizens of the kingdom, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm living life with you, I realize of what clothing I am still lacking. But here's a word of caution. We usually can notice first the clothing that other people are lacking before we notice the clothing ourselves are lacking. And we can have a hard time then bearing with one another's clothing problems. <laughs> like right now, you can probably think of a big list of church-going people that you know that do not have compassionate hearts, that are not kind. In fact, they're just mean, right? So like, church, like some church people are just mean. You can probably think of a big list of church-going people that aren't humble or meek or patient, you can probably think of the person in your city group that's lacking some kingdom clothes, so to speak, which hopefully even in our Zoom city groups, everyone has some sort of clothing on, but we're just talking about lacking some kingdom clothing, okay? You should always have earthly clothing on, but I'm talking about adding kingdom clothing. You guys are, we're on the same page. Okay, all right, all right. But listen, Paul knows this, all right? Paul, Paul knows this. He knows that this proper kingdom attire and wardrobe is going to be a process. And therefore, here in Colossians 3, what does he call us to do? He calls us to bear with one another. When we take uh, family pictures, 
Okay, I don't know how it goes for you guys, but when we take family pictures, uh, Britt does not allow her guys to pick like what they're going to wear. Okay, that is not that is not in our uh, that's not an option. Okay, uh, that might be interesting sometime to do a family photo shoot where we all picked what we wanted to wear, but that is not how our family photo shoots go down. All right, our family photo shoots go down. We have laid out outfits on the bed that have been color coordinated and matched and designed to work well together. Okay. And listen, in the same way, our good King Jesus knows that there are certain things, certain items of clothing we need that are going to be able to work well together. And it's not all the things that we were told to put to death earlier in chapter 3, right? He knows that, that uh, sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and anger and slander and obscene talk and lying, like all of that is not going to work. Right? Like, it's just, this is going to be a mess if, if those are the clothing items we're putting on each day. But no, God knows there are certain things that, that we need as a community of people to make this work. And it's compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Now, also in our family photo shoots, okay, after the, the items have been laid out, right, we tell the boys to go get dressed, okay? Go, go get these on and get, get ready. But the boys, especially the younger ones, not these two future men that are in here, but the ones back in the room, right, they need some help getting dressed, right? Like they're putting on uh, shirts backwards or inside out, or they're putting on their brother's clothes instead of the ones that are meant for them. Now, when that happens, do Britt and I, do we explode on them? Do we yell at them? Do we say, hey, how could you not get dressed right away? No. I mean, we shouldn't. Most of the time we don't. <laughs> but no, what do we do? We, we bear with them. They're still learning how to get these clothes on. And this is what God calls us to do as well. Look at verse 13, Colossians 3, 13. He writes, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Right? Paul calls us, he calls us to bear with one another and to forgive one another. But, but first, before we get to that, notice the piece of clothing that's going to tie all this together. All right, think, for those of you that, that design your outfits or you kind of think through multiple items, uh, like there's usually one thing that kind of ties it all together, right? Guys, if you're wearing a suit or something, maybe it's the tie that kind of ties it all together. Maybe it's a belt. Maybe it's a scarf. Maybe it's, I don't know, but there's an item. It's not everything that you're wearing, but it certainly makes everything else you're wearing a lot better. And what Paul says ties all these kingdom clothes together is love. He says, put on love. That's what binds compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience all together. All these things have to be motivated by a love for God and a love for one another. 
And this then is how putting on these kingdom clothes plays out in real life, right? We're all, we're all trying to get dressed, right? But we're having some issues, okay? It's imperfectly happening, but as we are all putting them on, the love, our love for God and our love for one another should allow us to bear with one another and to forgive one another. And this is an encouragement to me because it's almost like Paul is sort of assuming that this will be a normal part of, the citizen, of citizens of the kingdom doing life together. That at times we will have to bear with one another, which is kind of the nice spiritual way of saying put up with one another, okay? Sometimes we need to just put up with one another, And we're also going to have to forgive one another. So there, there was an old philosopher uh, who once described the human race as a bunch of porcupines huddled together on a cold winter's day. And as it got colder outside, they huddled closer and closer together. But as they got closer together, their sharp quills started to hurt one another. Now, this philosopher wasn't a Christian, which, so then it's really sad where he says, okay, after the, the porcupines are so close, they hurt one another, uh, then they're left to wander out on their own in the cold and die in their loneliness. <laughs> I mean, that's a really depressing worldview, but that is, apart from Christ, yes, what happens, right? Human beings, we get close with one another, but the closer we get to one another, the, the sharper we can hurt one another, the deeper we can wound one another. And apart from the gospel, apart from Christ intervening, we will then all run from one another and die in our loneliness. But Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. That's not how citizens of my kingdom are going to act. Because you see, we have a love for God. We have a love for one another, even though, yes, at times we will hurt one another. At times we will frustrate one another. At times, we will annoy one another. At times, we will deeply wound one another. But listen, because Jesus Christ took the only wound that we couldn't recover from, the wrath of God being poured out on sin, because Jesus took that wound, now the rest of our wounds can be healed. Amen. Jesus bore our iniquities so that we could bear with one another. Jesus forgave us so that we could forgive as well. Okay, this fall in your city group, I can almost guarantee there will be a time, if not multiple times, that you will have to bear with one another, right? That you will just have to put up with someone. I can almost guarantee that that day is coming in your city group. Uh, this is probably not a good promotional aspect for city groups, but that's going to happen, right? There will be a time that you will have to bear with someone. And I can almost 100% with confidence say that there will be a time in your city group that at some point in the group, you will either be intentionally or unintentionally hurt by someone else, and you will have to forgive them. But listen to this. Get this. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another 
is just as much a part of your discipleship process as any sort of study or lecture or plan we could put into place. You bearing with one another and you forgiving one another is helping you be more like Christ. That is a part of your discipleship. That is, not a, uh, that is not a hindrance to your maturity in Christ. That is an opportunity for you to mature in Christ. Amen. Because listen, not everyone in your group is going to perfectly exude kindness or patience or meekness. Only Christ did that perfectly, but we must bear with one another and forgive one another just like Britt and I do with our young boys who are getting dressed and learning how to put kingdom clothes on. And listen, if you want to summarize this this list of virtues that we've gone through, if you want to put them into a single tangible clothing item, right? Like if the three-piece suit or all these pieces are too complicated, you just want the onesie. Grant, give me the onesie. What do I put on? All right. Romans tells, uh, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 13, 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's your kingdom onesie. If all this like compassion, kindness is getting too complicated, essentially we are called to put on Christ. All right, that's what kingdom clothes look like. They look like Jesus. Yes. But how do we do this? How do we clothe ourselves with this kingdom wardrobe? Look back at verse 15. Colossians 3 verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, here Paul is going into an athletic metaphor to, to help us understand this, all right? Uh, Which you guys, you remember what sports are, right? Does anyone, anyone, does it sound familiar? A sport. It's, a, it's, not, it's not driving a car in a circle. It's not uh, watching people talking about sports, but actually sports, okay? There were these things before COVID that people would get together and play or they would watch someone else play and it, it brought uh, joy and happiness to the world, okay? Uh, they were called sports. All right, so when Paul is talking about the peace of Christ, all right, Paul is talking about the peace of Christ ruling your heart. For us, we could understand this as like an umpire in a baseball game. Would you guys remember what baseball is, right? Baseball, it's a very COVID-friendly thing. Everyone's spread out. The only two people close together have masks on, right? So it's good. You're good. You should play baseball, all right? So think about, right, the peace of Christ ruling your heart like an umpire rules the game, okay? Right? He calls things balls. He calls them strikes. He calls when someone's out. He calls a foul ball or a fair ball. And in that same way, the peace, uh, the peace that Christ has obtained for us should rule our hearts. And biblically, when we talk about peace, we're talking about this idea of a completeness or a wholeness that we have. So, so what he's saying here, okay, let me summarize here, okay, he's saying, let your completeness in Christ be the umpire of your heart in making decisions as to what you will wear today, whether it be covetousness or compassion, 
right? Whether it be pride or humility, whether it be meanness or kindness, whether it be harshness or meekness, whether it be frustration or patience, he's saying, let your completeness in Christ, let who you are, who you have been made whole in Christ, let that be the umpire of your heart. Let who you are in Christ make the call as to what you put on today. And you do this, you do this, you allow who you are in Christ to make the call on what you put on today. You do this by continually doing what he tells us to do in verse 16. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, verse 17 is actually going to lead us into where we're going uh, next time we preach in Colossians as we look at the roles of, uh, of us in the households. But look at verse 16. Because how do we clothe? How do we clothe ourselves with the kingdom wardrobe? How do we let, how do we let the, the peace of Christ rule us? We do this by letting the words of Christ dwell in us richly. We read them. We meditate on them. We memorize them. We teach them. We admonish one another with them, meaning we, we warn one another. We strongly encourage one another in wisdom with them. And he also says that we sing them. We sing them. If you look throughout church history, every revival or reformation was always accompanied by a revival in church music and congregational singing. Okay? Kingdom people are a singing people. We are a singing people. This is what we do. And this makes sense, right? As the word of Christ is dwelling in us, it will inevitably overflow with songs of thankfulness and joy to God. And therefore, church, our time of singing here is really important. Okay, it's really important. We don't do this just because we feel like you sure to, should sing some songs or we need kind of an, an opening to the sermon or we, anything like that. Like our singing here is a part of us letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And we try to make sure that our songs are rich with the word of God, with, with rich truths of him, exalting Christ because this is one of the main ways we as a community that we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. I mean, some of the truths that you are learning and you are singing to one another, they will stick with you and they will stick with your kids long after you forget whatever I preached about today. This is important. And I hope and I pray that this will be one of the things that makes us very distinct as a church is that we have a congregation that sings to the Lord. The, the governor of California this month, I believe, issued a no singing in church policy. 
And, and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of all the leaders here. We haven't like talked through that if that were to happen in Indiana. But I can tell you where my heart is at. My heart is that we would respectfully sing at the top of our lungs. <laughs> because this is one of the marks of a healthy church is that our hearts are overflowing with a love of Christ and that his word is filling us so much that it would overflow with a joyful song of thanksgiving to God. We are a singing people. It's vital to our walk with Christ. It's vital to our spiritual health. It's vital to our unity as a body and the community of citizens of the kingdom as we live together. We must sing God's truth to one another. We must praise God with our voices. And so here's, here's my question as I'm kind of wrapping up here. Here's my question for you to think about uh, as we, you know, enter into more singing and communion. Here's what I want you to think about as you're driving home, whether it be talking about it with those in your car or just thinking about this in your own head. But how can you this week allow the word to dwell in you richly? What are some things you can maybe do differently this week to really provide the opportunity for the Word to dwell in you richly? And maybe for you, maybe it's putting these verses, maybe it's putting these kingdom clothes uh, by your closet or by your bedroom, and as you're getting dressed, as you're putting earthly clothes on, Maybe that's your time to ask the Holy Spirit to help you put some of these kingdom clothes on as well. Maybe as you're putting your socks and your shirt on, maybe you're praying and asking the Lord to give you a compassionate heart, to give you kindness, to help you put on humility and meekness and patience. Because church, these are virtues that we must choose to cultivate and put on each and every day. And as we do, we're going to be reflections of Jesus to one another. We're going to be reminders to one another of this good King Jesus who chose us, who set us apart, and who now calls us his beloved. Church, Jesus is our compassionate King. He is our kind King. He is a humble, meek, and patient King. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, let us put these kingdom clothes on as well. But listen, we do this all the while remembering that it's not these kingdom clothes that win us favor with our king. Right? This shirt doesn't convince Brit to keep loving me or earn favor with her. No, these kingdom clothes, they are reminders to us of the king who has already chosen us who has already set us apart, who has already poured out his love on us. And so what a great king we have. Let's clothe, let's clothe ourselves with these things and let's get ready for the family picture. All right? All right, let's pray.